Let's turn to the word of the Lord so we understand how to behave as the church. Amen? In the book of Ephesians, Paul has been telling us what the church is, how wonderful and glorious she is, predestined before time, that there would be a bride prepared for the Son, that through the church the gates of heaven would be open to all nations and all peoples, that we would be the saints of God, the servants of the Lord, that we would be the bride of Christ. And then after the theology, Paul went into the practical and he said, husbands and wives, you've got to display a marriage that represents Jesus and the bride. The family is essential for any culture, any society. Strong families build a strong nation. And the church should have strong families because the way a husband loves a wife is the way Jesus loves the church. And the way a wife loves uh, her husband is the way uh, the church loves God. And so uh, he explained that last week we saw that he talked about children. Children, you're to obey your parents. Learn to submit to authorities at a young age. Obey your parents and then honor your parents all the days of your life. And by doing that, again, the family is strengthened. And where there are healthy families, there's a healthy culture. And we know that there's a problem in the land with our families, and we need to heed what God is saying. But now, all of a sudden, we come to this new new statement, slaves and masters. And I can hear the record scratch. (laughs) Wait a minute. Slaves and masters. This is the problem with you Christians. Why would you believe in a book that backs slavery? In the Old Testament, you've got slavery here. In the New Testament, you've got slavery again. Slavery's wrong. Slavery's bad. But you people, you still follow an antiquated book that favors slavery. What is wrong with you people? And that's the criticism to us. And many believers go, I I don't know how to explain this. The first question is, where do you get the idea that slavery is wrong and bad? I agree with that, by the way. What is your moral standing and your moral foundation that you would say slavery is bad? Where do you get that from? Well, if you look back in history enough, you'll find out that the reason we all agree slavery is wrong, slavery is bad, is because of the Christian church. Is because of the teachings of Christ that we have determined it to be bad. And so many critics of Christianity are actually standing on the teachings of Christ to say the Bible's wrong. But what they don't understand is they're misinterpreting Scripture. Their moral opinion is actually what we've been teaching for thousands of years. Let me help you understand it. Before we can get into what Paul's trying to teach between slaves and masters, and in fact, he's not even talking about slavery. He's talking about how to behave as Christians in a work ethic. But before we even get there, let me take you through a quick, quick, quick review of slavery in the Old Testament and New Testament so that we don't get stuck on this and misunderstand what God's doing. So everything has context. You have to go back to the historical context. There was one one uh, congressman that said America invented slavery. And it's like, man, you got to learn some history here, okay? So listen, history has been around, I'm sorry, yeah, history's been around from the beginning of time. <laughs> That's a given, isn't it? Slavery, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, slavery's been around from the beginning of time. So let's get everything in historical context so that we can understand 
the progression of what Scripture brought in Revelation. At one time, the entire world was under the system of slavery. In ancient times, there was not a single nation that opposed slavery. They didn't oppose it because it was the norm of work. They didn't have an industrialized nations. They didn't have tractors. They didn't have plows that the, the kind that we use now that eliminates uh, people in a workforce. Their only tools they had were people. And so they utilized people in slavery. And many times the slaves were people from other nations that they had conquered and brought in to do the work of slavery. It was their workforce. And so they would put people to work to do the toil and the labor for them. That was worldwide. It was the norm. No one was standing up and saying, stop this. Everybody understood that that's how it was functioning in the world. Is it right? No, it wasn't. But it was the norm of the world. Slavery was not a racial issue. It was an economic issue. It had nothing to do with the color of your skin or your ethnicity. It had everything to do with economics. And that's why they would put people into slavery and use them. And many times it was a type of servitude where people owed their bills and couldn't pay. And they would put themselves into slavery to pay off their debt and still be able to live. And so let's take a look at this. So in the nations around the world before... Uh, Israel, how many of you remember Israel were slaves? And they were slaves in Egypt as a family. And through the world in the ancient times, all the nations would have forms of slavery and servitude to get their work done. Most of it was economic or brought about because they conquered another nation and used the people for their workforce. Most of it also was servitude, pay off a debt. You don't have money, you don't have finance. You don't have any cattle or cows or crops to pay me, then you will serve me for 10 years or five years or so forth to pay off the debt so that they could continue living and continue to have a life. Many times, though, those who were enslaved by foreign powers were slaves for life. Now, these were people who were not righteous. Most of the people followed after strange gods and so forth. And so there was cruelty, there was punishment, all sorts of slavery. That was a real problem. Israel experienced it and came out of it. That's why when God called Israel to be a nation and established the law of God for that nation, He said that there shall be no slavery in Israel because you once were slaves. And so no Hebrew or Jew could become a slave. They became servants, bond servants, because if they had debts to pay, they could pay it off as a bond servant. Another word for that would be slavery, where they would live and work as, uh, for somebody. Uh, as another Jew, they would work for them until they paid off their debt. Now, there were slaves when Israel would conquer another nation, and they would bring them in and use them as slaves. Those were people who were slaves for life. But God introduced by His law something so transitional to slavery. What was known in the world to slavery, God adjusted and transformed by grace into the nation of Israel with a different standard for how you treat people. And this is what God did. He said, 
uh, again, now here you could say, well, why didn't he just say no slavery? Well, again, he, how do you have people pay their debts if they have no money, no agriculture, and so forth? They work. And so that's what we termed slavery. No Jew could be enslaved. It was economic servitude. Prisoners of war were slaves, but this is what Leviticus 25 says. There should be no distinction between a slave and a hired laborer in Israel. So whether you were a slave captured by another country into Israel, or whether you were a Jew and you became a servant, you were to be treated the same. Even the slaves were treated the same as hired hands. And so that mattered. Slaves became members of the master's household. They enjoyed the benefits of all of the Jewish feasts and all the Jewish festivals. They had room and board and food, and they were to learn about Yahweh and the ways of God's law, and they were applying God's law to their lives. And so the law of Israel applied even to the slaves, and so that meant the same laws they lived by applied to those who were serving as slaves. That's a big difference. Slaves could acquire and hold property in Israel. They could prosper and they could even redeem themselves and pay, themself, uh, pay for themselves to get out of slavery. According to Exodus 21.20, killing a slave was punishable by death as that of killing even a free man, even if the master killed them. The abduction of a person for sale and putting them into bondage for slavery was a capital offense according to the law of God. You could not capture somebody and put them into slavery. Uh, abducting them for sale. Masters may not rule ruthlessly over slaves, Leviticus 25 says, nor ill-treat them, Deuteronomy 23.17 says. The workload of a slave should never exceed his physical or her physical strength. Ecclesiastes 33.28. A fugitive slave must never be returned to his master, but given refuge. Last of all, every seven years for the, in the year of Jubilee, all slaves were set free. Now that is a drastic change from the world's understanding of slavery. But how many of you know that's not good enough? Right? We shouldn't have slavery. We shouldn't enslave people to do things. Now, we can hire people to do accomplish things. But that's how the Old Testament, that's why when they say God uh, commends slavery in the Old Testament, it's a completely different understanding of what slavery is, especially from what was slavery in the United States of America, which was one of the worst forms chattel slavery, one of the worst forms racially driven in our nation and in the world. And so it was far from it. So Old Testament slavery is not what people understand when they think of slavery, and especially in the United States. But something comes along which is called the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within Judaism, there was free, fair treatment given to the slaves. But the gospel takes it further. But why don't we just declare, all, slavery's bad, stop all slavery. How are you going to convince the entire world and every nation that has slavery to just stop it? Uh, because somebody said so? 
How are you going to change the dynamic of a world that operates under slavery? Well, God did it with one nation to be a light to all other nations. And through that one nation, that change came. And then the change agent of Messiah came. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus did something. He brought the gospel, the good news, that literally was now going to go into all the world, into all nations, and it was going to radically change this concept of slavery because now, according to the gospel, there is now no nor Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male or female. The cross labels everyone equal as sinners before God, able to be saved and freed in Jesus Christ. Amen? The way you change globally a mindset is by changing the hearts of men and women. And that's what the gospel did. In the seed of the gospel is the extermination of slavery, the complete eradication of it. Because the gospel says there is no difference between men and women, Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are all the same. We all need a Savior. We can all be born again. And that all men are created equal. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ did for us. The gospel is the ultimate change for social order. To where the world looks at slavery now as an abomination. Where did they get that idea? From Christianity. But why in the New Testament didn't they just say, stop all slavery? Again, they had to change hearts before you change minds. And the kernel of what is spoken in this gospel is in the New Testament. Paul begins to say, yet the slave man is now the Lord's free man, and that the master is now the Lord's slave. He then says to the slave, you are equal to the master, and he says to the master, you are equal to the slave, because you all have one master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally changes the dynamic between slave and master by bringing them responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how they treat each other is now going to be how they will be treated at the judgment of God. That radically changes the culture. And that is what the New Testament is about. But, and it was working wonderfully and tremendously throughout the world globally. Christianity was taking over and bringing a new concept to freedom and equality until the 1500s to the 1900s when we had the transatlantic slave trade. Shipping became popular. Shipping became essential around the world. And now, no longer were nations isolated by water and lands. They now were being traversed by the transatlantic slave trade. And so a young nation was starting. And in the 1600s, this nation was beginning to develop. And it began to grow crops, and Britain loved what they were getting from North America, and, and they didn't want to stop the production, and the South was rich with all the fabric and cotton and, and uh, produce that they wanted to bring. And so, as easily as getting uh, any merchandise from a ship, they began to receive workers or slaves. It was free labor, 
and they began to do it. This was opposed to the gospel. This was opposed to the founding of the nation, but they began to do it anyways. What's interesting is it wasn't just the United States. If you look at the trade routes of the transatlantic, it's not just that people went to Africa and stole people. Africa was selling people. It was the main product of Africa. Look at the trade routes. They were selling people and sending people to all of the world. And unfortunately, the United States got in on that as well. Now, I could go on and on about the United States. Did you, and uh, originally in the first couple drafts, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson had a, an, a, a complete clause in there against slavery, that it should not be in this nation, that if there is an equality, then it's, all men are created equal, and uh, the king should not take people and use them in slavery, nor should we as the United States. And that was in the original Constitution. But it was edited out because in the midst of trying to fight a war against Britain, the South would not agree to that. In fact, the South demanded that the, you could not touch the transatlantic slave trade until 1808, 20 years after the Constitution. It was in the Constitution that it couldn't be touched. And in order to make sure that they had a, a union and a ratified number of uh, states to fight Great Britain, they took the part of slavery out of the Constitution. In fact, a number of the people who were in the Continental Congress, especially pastors and Christian leaders, didn't sign the Constitution. They refused to because it didn't have the Bill of Rights and it didn't have the anti-slavery uh, uh, section. Samuel Harris wrote prophetically against the United States and said, if you do not deal with this issue now, it will be a problem in that nation for years. And was it? Yes, it is. And so it's unfortunate, but Christianity and the gospel has continued, and we've fought against it, and thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands gave their lives to stop this sin in this nation and to bring freedom and equality to all people. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ at work. Amen? Amen. And that's just a brief history of what's going on with slavery. So now let's go to our scripture in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 5. So you can see this beginning of what God is doing in people's lives to eradicate such social behavior. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, he says this, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. See, again, he's talking to a Jewish crowd here, but he's also talking to Gentiles who would be under slavery. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service or people pleasing, but as bondservants of Jesus, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or whether he is free. So what he's telling the people is, whether you're a slave, whether you're the master, you do all as unto the Lord. That puts everybody under the responsibility of Jesus' lordship. 
If you're in slavery to work off a debt, do the best you can as in working for Jesus. If you're the master of someone who's working for you, then you treat them as you want God to treat you. That changes the way people treat each other, isn't it? When we become responsible to the Lord. Now, of course there are evil people. Of course there are people who will not pay attention to Scripture. But he's talking to Christians And he goes on, he says this, Masters, you do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and your master. And is your master in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. What does that statement say? To God, there's no partiality between the master and the slave. You will be judged by how you treat each other. And so in this life, if there is a cruel master, they will suffer at the judgment of God. And so he is equalizing the slave-master relationship and saying, we are all under the authority of Jesus Christ. We need to treat each other right as Christians. And Paul will go on writing a letter to Philemon and says, this runaway slave that's with me now, I want him to return. I want his debt paid in full. And I want you to treat him like a brother in Christ. That radically changed the world. And it should have continued to radically change. But money and greed get in the way. But not so with you. What Paul is basically saying is that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. He said this in Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you put your hands to, do it as unto God. He's talking about a work ethic, brothers and sisters. As Christians, you have to understand Christianity is going out into a pagan world and literally transforming the way the world operates, the way customs operate, the way a society thinks, and changing their mindset into a kingdom theology of Jesus Christ. To love one another, to forgive one another, and to treat each other with respect and honor. That's transforming a cruel pagan world. And it is the gospel that is beginning to reach men's hearts and change our culture to the place now where we're so used to that ethic and moral, then people are growing up with it, not realizing it came from Christianity. So let's take a look at this and and let me challenge you this morning in the sense of slave and master or Work and employee, employer and employee as a Christian. What's he saying? He says this. He says, don't do your work as in the way of eye service, as people pleasers. What do you think eye service means? It means that when they're looking at you at work, you're, oh, yeah, yeah, working. (laughs) Busy, busy, yeah, right. And when they're not looking, it's like, yeah, whatever. Is this the way we're to work? Are we to be people pleasers? Yes, sir. Whatever. Brown noses we call. Yes, sir. Whatever you want. Yes, sir. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you gossip about your boss or you slander the other co-worker and you don't do what you should be doing. Not Christians. No. 
If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you become the best worker at that place. You show up on time, you do your work, and you do your work as unto God. You take your lunch break as you're supposed to, and you get back to work. You don't go out, you don't drink, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't slander, you don't backbite. Salary, hourly, show up to work and do the job. Represent Jesus Christ at work. Amen? Don't be an eye pleaser. He says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men. You may not even like your boss. You're not working for your boss anymore. You're working for Jesus Christ. Try it. I want this week, I want you to go in and your eight hours, your ten hours, whatever work you have to do, you do it as unto Jesus. Not because your boss told you to, but because Jesus wants you to. I did this and it affected me many years ago. I, uh, between college, uh, I, going to college in the summers, I, I would uh, get a job and I was a custodian at my old high school. And uh, in the summer, all the high school kids were out and it was my job to pick up all the paper. So they gave me a big long stick with a nail on the end of it and a bag. Anybody been there? So uh, it was my job to pick up all the paper. And that morning I said, you know, I, I heard this message and I, and I heard that we're supposed to do all things as unto the Lord. And I said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to pick up every piece of paper as an act of worship to you. Everything, it'll all be done to your glory. And so I began, man, I was like, hallelujah, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory. Ah, come on, man. Oh, behind the picker bush. Ah, glory to God. Hallelujah. And I'm working, and one hour goes by, two hours, and I'm making it around the school, and I'm thinking, these kids, these stinking kids. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, man. You can't pick up cigarette butts with a little nail. I'm telling you. Oh, I you know, i got to bend over on this one. Oh, Jesus. Put it in there. After a while, I had a talk with the Lord. God, you know my heart. I love you. Praise God. But I think enough's enough. And I was like, no, I made a commitment. I'm not done yet. This isn't about picking up paper anymore. This is about me keeping my word to God. This is about me honoring God in all things. So I went back and I started doing it again and doing it again. And I'd, I'd go past. That's not big enough. I'd... Uh, ah. and I, it transformed my job. I wasn't picking up trash. I was praising Jesus all the day long. I was honoring Him with what I did. Because I didn't work for my boss. I worked for Christ. And it's got to be the same for us. You may not like them. It doesn't matter about that. It matters about your witness and your testimony. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you offering your service and your body and your mental capacity and your words to the Lord Jesus Christ at all times? And he says that we must do all things to the Lord and to His glory. 
Why? Because the gospel changes lives. Ultimately, what Jesus did, this is the gospel concerning slavery. Jesus came to set every slave free. And we've all been slaves to sin and death. That's what the gospel is. And you have the, po the power to be an abolitionist to set people free. Well, there's no more slavery now. There's more slavery today in this world than there ever has been. But we're ignoring it. But even more than that, with sex traffic and so forth, what's even more than that slave trade is there is still a cruel master called Satan holding people in the power of sin. And they need to be freed. And they need people to set them free. They need a Christian that will show up at work and shine the light. They need a believer who will do all as unto God instead of men. They don't need eye pleasers, Sunday go to morning church people. We don't need a bunch of religious people. We need Christians who will do what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That's the gospel to the poor. Send me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the slaves, the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Freedom! To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's freedom from slavery. That's the gospel. Are you in? Or are you an eye pleaser? Is this just Christianese? Well, I'm telling you, that day's over. It's coming fast. And you're either going to be in this thing for the trouble, or you're not. Either you're going to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to set the slaves free. And you're going to care. And you're going to risk your life to set someone free from sin. Set them free from demonic attacks. Set them free from oppression. That's the freedom from slavery that Jesus brought. And so I would commend to you this morning, this gospel sets people free. But you've got to show up with it. And you've got to work as unto the Lord in everything. Let's bow our heads.